0: This is the InFocus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to another edition of InFocus. I'm your host, G. Sampath. The University Grants Commission announced on April 12th that students can now pursue two full-time academic courses in physical mode simultaneously. Until this announcement, if a student wanted to do two full-time academic programs at the same time, She could only do a full time program in physical mode along with an online or a diploma course. But now that has changed. And the next day, on April 13th, the UGC also issued a set of guidelines for the pursuit of two courses simultaneously. As someone who found it rather difficult to manage my own academic commitments for just one full time program, I can't help but wonder what kind of students would want to sign up for two degrees in physical mode at the same time. Wouldn't that mean? that the bulk of their day for three three years would be spent just attending classes. And what prompted the UGC to come up with this option? Was there a demand for it from students or from colleges? And will this option increase the competitive pressure on all students to spend their undergraduation years locking away on two degrees rather than one? To help us understand the implications of this new development, we have with us Maya John, Who teaches history at Jesus and Mary College, Delhi University? Maya, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, Maya, to start with, can you give us a quick overview of the UDC's guidelines on this new option of doing two courses and from when this option is expected to be implemented?
1: You see, the UGC's provisions that were released uh, two, three days ago essentially state that. Now, a student pursuing a full time undergraduate or even a master's degree can now simultaneously pursue another full time degree uh, from the same university or from another university. Now, the two degrees um, that the student opts for can be pursued in the regular physical mode, like you just mentioned in the introduction, provided, of course, that the class timings, the lecture timings, do not. Clash. The other format, possible format which the UGC has clarified, is that the student can pursue both the degrees in the online or in the open and distance learning, that is ODL mode. The third possible permutation is that the student may pursue one of those degrees in the physical regular mode and the second degree in the online or the ODL mode. Now, the list of higher education institutions that can offer, you know, degrees in, you know, uh, or diploma programs under the open and distance learning mode or in the online mode have to be approved uh, or basically recognized by either the UGC, the University Grants Commission, statutory councils or the government of India. So that is what they are saying. So this basically means that those institutions that will be, you know, facilitating this kind of double degree would need to be uh, universities, institutions that are recognized by the UGC, state councils, statutory bodies, and the government. Now, given that the provisions of the National Education Policy 2020, what we call the NEP 2020, are being fast-tracked, um, being very, very speedily you know, implemented in some of the key central universities like Dell University, I project that this provision on doing two degrees at the same time May as well be in force in this new academic session that starts in July August, Uh, but of course, as of now, an official UGC regulation uh, is awaited, which is usually published in the Gazette of India.
0: Right. So, does this mean that uh, this uh, two courses option uh, being given by universities uh, will have to wait before the UGC recognises which are the universities that can do this?
1: Well, actually. Already in the last uh, two or three years, the UGC has been empowering uh, institutions with higher accreditation, um, you know, what we call NAC scores or ranking, to, you know, start offering online courses. And already quite a few of our major and big central universities are functioning in what is known as the dual mode that means they offer regular physical mode uh, education as well as the uh, distance learning mode so there's already you know the wheels are already turning there's already certain things in place so it's not as if you know it's it's going to be something that's very you know delayed in its implementation i see it happening quite soon in the coming in the coming few months
0: right and just for the benefit of our listeners What is the difference between uh, distance learning and uh, online learning learning, given that even, you know, online learning happens at a distance, right? So, what exactly is the difference?
1: Right. So, um, the thing is that both are what we call informal modes of education. Both the open and distance learning and the online uh, mode of education are what many of us, you know, in the education sector identify as informal modes of education, what we call remote learning. Uh, And this is because it's not happening in an actual classroom, it's not happening in the regular mode, there's no five or six days uh, a week kind of, you know, timetable-driven instruction. Uh, The teacher is very often not somebody who you are regularly in interface with. Um, So these are all what we call informal modes of education, which under the new education or National Education Policy 2020 are being literally equated with direct classroom teaching with the you know regular physical mode of education. An equivalence that I will come to later is deeply problematic. But to be specific about the difference between open and distance learning and online learning, uh, well, the open and distance learning mode or what we call the ODL mode, an informal mode of education, has a longer history uh, in India. It can be traced back to certain recommendations and implementation that followed from the time of the late 50s, early 60s. You have the Kothari Commission uh, which actually, you know, picked up on a pilot project of distance or correspondence learning uh, that Delhi University had started through its School of Open Learning, and said this is a format for you know any adult learner who's not able to come into the mainstream do regular classes. This option should be made available. So the correspondence mode or ODL mode has a longer history going back to the 50s and 60s, and we have open universities like IGNU, Indira Gandhi National Open University. Uh, that came up in the 80s to provide, you know, uh, this kind of education. Now, online mode of education is something that we've seen more recently in the last few years in a precipitated form during the last two years of, you know, interrupted academic calendars due to the pandemic and closure of universities. And here the format is basically virtual classrooms. There's actually very, very little interaction with any kind of instructor or, or teacher. And it's a a format which requires digitized material, mass use of digitized material, the virtual classroom, uh, and of course, the constant use of, uh, you know, gadgets, electronic gadgets. Uh, The ODL mode, which is an older format of informal education, of course, still provided for printed material, some interaction with, you know, the teacher or instructor. So, these are the kind of differences, but both are problematic forms of informal education which are being mainstreamed, being brought into the centre as just another pathway of learning, equivalent to direct classroom teaching, which many of us see as a hugely problematic endeavour.
0: Right, we'll come back to this equivalence later, as you said. But in the meantime, are these two courses option only for undergraduate courses or is it for all uh, postgraduate courses as
1: well? So what the UGC's um, you know, stipulations were in the media Uh, is that it's going to be offered as a provision for anyone who's currently uh, enrolled in undergraduate courses, that means bachelor's courses, and right up till the master's level, that's the MA, uh, MSc level. Being able to do two research degrees like the PhD would not be allowed. So, it's only up to the MA level.
0: So, uh, does this mean a person can do an MA and an MSc at the same time?
1: Well, currently, without the guidelines being there in place in terms of, you know, a proper gazette notification, it's difficult to say, but we do know, for example, the UGC chairperson made a statement in the news that, you know, um, of course, it means that a student doing a course from IIT Delhi can just walk across the road to JNU and do a bachelor in French. So, of course, you know, the system wants to make it seem as if it's going to open up multiple disciplines to to the students. Uh, but of course, given the, the, the infrastructure constraints and the fact that we're talking about physical mode of education, it's very unlikely that any student will be able to do uh, two physical mode, regular mode degrees at the same time.
0: Right. So, uh, there have been a lot of uh, changes coming into higher education uh, in these uh, last few months, uh, Maya. And suppose... A student wants to do his second course, uh, either online or uh, through open and distance learning. Would that uh, admission for that course also be subject to eligibility based on this uh, CUET scores and whatever limited seats uh, which constrain the number of students who can get admission to a particular course in a particular college? Or would these uh, second courses, in addition to the physical mode, be it in ODL or online, would they be easier to get admission into?
1: Uh, see, Sampat, I always uh think it's best for us when we're engaging with policy shifts and paradigms to locate them within what already exists on the ground. So we have a highly graded hierarchical system of higher education, a higher education sector where you have premier public-funded universities, mainly speaking the central universities, which are like, you know, the the hotspots, you know, this is where most people aspire to get into and they are flushed with funds from the state. And then, you know, below that you have ramshackle, run-down state or regional universities and then below that a whole spectrum of B-grade private colleges and universities, what I call private teaching shops. So, within this, you know, larger reality of a graded higher education, hierarchical higher education sector... How do you place a provision like this about double double degrees? Now, as per the UGC's new announcement on being able to do two full-time degrees at the same time, it is a much larger pool of you know full-time degrees that are going to be offered in the open and distance learning mode and the online mode. And given the existing you know gradations so or hierarchy within the higher education sector, Uh, We can expect that, you know, the premier, the public-funded, you know, universities are going to regulate their intake through entrances. And in fact, you know, the UGC chairperson even, you know, uh, very explicitly said this, that the student needs to qualify CUET and JEE and other such exams if going for another degree at the same time. Um, So, of course, we can expect the public-funded universities to, you know, as they have already been doing so, you work through cutoffs, work through entrance tests to manage the uh, uh, possibility of a second-degree, you know, uh, aspirant coming into the system. But let me draw your attention to another side of this hierarchy, which is the private teaching shops or the B-grade private colleges that may very well and very soon gain recognition from state-level statutory councils, from the UGC, etc. in the coming days. Uh, because the government is not too keen, and in its past record also shows that it's not going to be extending its own institutions, like building its own new public-funded universities. It's going to tap existing private institutions for expansion of the higher education sector. So in the coming days, a lot of private teaching shops are going to gain uh, recognition from state-level statutory bodies, and this, of course, you know, uh, means that these private Teaching shops wouldn't necessarily be conducting tests, entrance tests, etc., but simply using a provision like this to earn loads of money by duping anxious youth uh, to pursue two degrees uh, to be safe and so-called, you know, increase their employability. So these are the things that I think are going to unfold in the coming days. Uh, What I'd also like to, you know, say that the UGC regulation, I, I keep saying, is awaited. But yes, uh, yes, the statements made so far in the media indicate that, you know, there is going to be the need to clear qualifying entrances for the double degree.
0: Right. So this entire move uh, by the UDC to introduce two courses, I mean, was, was it in response to any demand from students or was there any demand from colleges or educational institutions? Like what, what is the broader context? According to you, that uh, you think has prompted uh, this introduction of this facility.
1: Well, to be very honest, Sampad, there was no lobby from students. You know, this is not coming from existing stakeholders in the higher education system. That is, you know, students or, or teachers. I see this move stemming from our policymakers' persistent and long-standing effort to push forward with privatization and the mainstreaming of the open and distance learning mode and the online mode of education. Now, why do I say this? I say this because in rare instances, will a student be in a position to pursue two full-time degrees in the physical or what we call regular mode. So, this carrot which is being offered to students and is supposedly in their interest, will simply play on the confusion and anxiousness of our youth so, as to pave the way for their enrollment in the odl uh, open and distance learning courses their enrollment in private teaching shops uh, you know their heightened dependence
0: so why not then uh, just say that students can pursue two courses one online or odl and one physical mode why bring up this whole thing about two physical uh, mode courses
1: it is their, it is the strategy of the ugc it always you know it always speaks in terms of hybrids and blended modes it doesn't want to be seen outrightly promoting only one pathway of education. So, it will always say that, you no, know, of course, the permutation of doing both the degrees in the physical regular mode will also be there. But we all know the actual permutation will be, uh, in all probability, both the degrees being done in the online or ODL mode or one of them being done in the ODL online mode and one being done in the physical mode.
0: Right. And But the UGC chairperson uh, in his comments to the media has uh, sort of, in, in terms of the UGC's justification, he has said that this is been done to enable students to acquire multiple skills, you know, not just in one domain, but in different domains by doing different uh, degrees, more than one degrees. So how do you view this uh, justification? And does this pan out when we compare uh, how other countries, say in the West, Uh, manage uh, this kind of a question of, you know, offering two degrees and so on?
1: My response would be that one of the, you know, when we talk about multi-skilling, right, in this, I would like to say that as a, we need to, we need to closely understand this claptrap about university education inculcating multi-skilling and we need to look at it very closely in these terms. This is a preoccupation of our policy framers. Uh, which actually stems from the industry or employers' lobbies. You asked me a few minutes back whether this is about students demanding. This is actually not coming from students. It's actually coming from employers that significantly depend on state-funded higher education for the production of a multi-skill workforce, a dependency that absolves employers of bearing the costs of skill development of various kinds and also enables employers to pay less salaries for what I call intergenerational development of skills in our society, and literally what we're seeing is that you know this very forceful employer lobby has you know grown and influenced education policy, and employers as a whole have been benefiting that is either through the production of a large workforce that is increasingly equipped to face changing job market needs via you know quote unquote reforms in higher education programs that the state, the Indian government, is funding, and also through diversification of private capital in the education sector, like we're seeing private professional universities proliferate. Now, as part of the Indian state's efforts to meet the new demands of the job market controlled by the private sector or private employers, uh, the course restructuring along the lines of the four-year undergraduate program in central universities, as well as this recent provision on double degrees are clearly driven by the presumption that there is a supposed lack of adequate skilling for employability when it comes to the academic stream of higher education or university education. And hence, there is a need, so-called need, to blend in vocational educational courses, if necessary, in partnership with industry and NGOs. Now, this approach, uh, I feel, you know, of policy framers assumes, and it implies that the problem lies in the lack of skilled labor in our economy, Rather than the massive unemployment created consciously by over exploiting you know the, the employed already employed labor force uh, by the industry corporate combined. So really that's how I would look at where this multi-skilling you know projection uh, is coming from and how it is fueling uh, uh, repeated you know changes in the education restructuring of, of university curriculums. Um, I would say in the West these are failed models you know in the West, uh, everything in terms of, you know, double degrees, in the uh, in terms of online education have existed uh, prior to, you know, their mainstreaming here in India. But there are enough studies in America and, and Europe that have gone to show that, you know, these models have been failing miserably just looking at the high dropout rates. The high dropout rates in, you know, university education uh, in these countries that have brought in these models and formats earlier than India has. So, uh, this is what I would say is is what uh, our projection is uh, once these things get rolled out.
0: Right. Uh, moving on to the question of uh, seats and infrastructure to be able to pull this off. When you did mention that uh, between physical mode and uh, online and ODL mode, the bulk of uh, expansion in the number of courses is going to be online. Uh, but keeping that to one side, if you look at, infrastructure in higher education, it is way below, I would imagine, what the demand is in terms of labs and, you know, equipment, as in colleges who are equipped to handle the kind of load uh, and the demand from students and the number of students who barely manage to get into these kinds of institutions. How will the existing system accommodate what seems to be, in this case, a doubling of demand when instead of one course, a student who gets admission does two courses? I mean, I would imagine that's a doubling of demand on the existing system of infrastructure and teaching infrastructure and various other research infrastructure which are involved. So, where the same set of students would now be doing the double the academic work that they were doing earlier. So, how will we cope uh, with this demand?
1: This is an interesting question. Let me um, answer it in terms of the, uh, again, the kind of ground realities we are seeing as in a graded, highly hierarchical system of higher education. And let me also answer it in terms of talking of two Indian youths, okay, one who's been a product of expensive private coaching and private schooling, and one India, one section, a large section of India's youth, who's a product of you know government schooling uh, coming from inherited inequalities. That's I think would be a good in, uh, an important entry point into understanding what's 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 going to happen now, given the shortage of infrastructure that you mentioned. Uh, The UGC's provision on double degrees will simply translate into a growth of online and the ODL mode of education, as I have been saying. And please remember, the online and ODL modes of education are informal forms of education, which do not get sufficient funds. In fact, they are fund-starved, and there is little or no quality control on these forms of education. I think the history of ODL mode of education in our country since the 60s, as I told you, has been pathetic in terms of the quality of the study material, the nature of the you know, course and its imparting to the distance learning has been very bad, which is why a large number of students who are enrolled in these modes, informal modes like ODL and even online education, have been wanting to transition into the regular physical mode. I'll come back to this point. But what I wanted to explain is that we're going to see a growth in the online and ODL mode given the shortage of infrastructure that we pointed out. Now, let us be very clear that considering the dismal record, very bad record of the Indian state's allocation of funds towards education. So there's a rising demand and how much the state needs to allocate to the sector is not rising at the same level or not, it's not at the same level as the demand. And so we're not going to see, and we haven't been seeing any major infrastructure expansion, which is why these informal modes like online and ODL are being consistently propped up and being brought into the mainstream. Now, of course, if we speak specifically of the physical, regular mode of education that some youth may still manage to juggle, you know, given their privileged schooling and you know their the intellectual inheritance that they have enjoyed, this double degree provision of the UGC basically means that the top 10% of youth in our country passing out of the senior secondary board examinations will hoard the seats in the premier higher education institutions. Now, in a context of shortage of public-funded higher education institutions, seats, etc., essentially the UGC's recent provision implies that a student with 98 or 99 percent in their board exam can acquire two seats, not one, two seats in public-funded universities. Now, ironically, we have a huge number uh, of youth in our country who are not even able uh, who are not even able to get access to one full-time degree in the regular or physical mode, and here we're talking about promising them and a larger body of youth two degrees at the same time so just look at the recent enrollment figures in our open and distance learning institutions like IGNU, the biggest largest open university of india across various categories there's been an increase in the enrollment but yes a disproportionate increase has been there in the odl mode for those communities of you know students who are coming from economically vulnerable and socially discriminated sections of society like the scheduled caste scheduled tribe and obc students in two thousand and eighteen, we have statistics of uh, that in nine years up to two thousand and eighteen, there was a two hundred and forty eight percent increase in the number of scheduled caste students enrolled in Iiggni and a one hundred and seventy two percent increase in the number of scheduled tribe students enrolled in I. Even more importantly, we have studies and surveys carried out that reveal that youth, young people enrolled in you know open and distance learning or informal modes of you know education actually prefer the formal or physical mode. So they want to come into the main direct classroom teaching format. But despite these aspirations, the system is not envisaging our policymakers are not envisaging an extension of formal education, of direct or regular mode teaching, to this vast section who is languishing in the margins of the university system or languishing in the ODL mode, in the online mode, and are caught in this trap of private teaching shops selling popular degrees like B.Ed. and all that. Instead, the system is initiating a musical chairs-like competition amongst those who have long enjoyed privileged access to public-funded higher education institutes due to expensive and good-quality schooling as well as private coaching. So, I think all this is just going to lead to greater privatization, more exclusion of the vulnerable first-generation learners through the mainstreaming of the ODL and online modes of education. And this this is the biggest threat.
0: Right. So two interesting points uh, you made here. One, you're saying that uh, the ODL and online mode uh, of education is has been sort of, uh, according to the statistics you shared, primarily been uh, used by marginalized communities, from uh, say the uh, shuttle caste and shuttle tribe communities and so on. And you're saying that uh, the premier educational institutions uh, are going to be spaces where uh, the privileged sections will be able to get two seats when earlier they had only one seat. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So, will that not lead to a higher uh, level of scarcity?
1: Exactly. It would. It would. So, there's no talk about increasing the seats. It's all about, as I said, a musical chairs with the existing number of seats that you have. If you're going to open it up and say that you can do two full-time physical mode degrees, that basically means you're going to allow a privileged section of young people to take a sociology honours seat also in the regular mode in suppose one college in Delhi University and similarly, you know, a psychology honours course in the same university or in another university in the physical mode. So the seat is an increase, basically a privileged section of youth gain two seats rather than just one. So yes, it's going to intensify the competition, it's going to intensify the scarcity and it's going to continue to leave a large number of people who are already outside on the margins of the university system going to leave them languishing there. I think it's actually an irony.
0: Right. So you're saying that there is clearly a danger here of students who depend on public universities for higher education uh, now getting pushed more and more towards online and open and distance learning courses rather than physical courses, which will then remain a preserve of uh, the most privileged sections.
1: Definitely, definitely. Because we can expect all these, you know, premier institutions which are public funded to have a system of, you know, some form of entrances or some form of, you know, cut-off, uh, which is already a prevailing system. They're not going to magically become, you know, egalitarian overnight. They're going to perpetuate what is already there as practices of admission. Uh, and it's going to be a restricted entry, as I said, to the top 10%. It is going to circulate among those seats.
0: Right. So, we're running out of time, Maya. One final question before we uh, wrap up so uh, you had mentioned earlier that the government was trying to equate uh, informal education uh, which which would uh, by which you mean open and distance learning and online courses uh, with formal education which is classroom based uh, pedagogy and teaching and learning so now does this mean that say somebody who does an ma or an mba through an online or odl mode will get the same level of credentialing as someone who does an mba or mba or an ma from a classroom is that what the government is saying both are equally credentialed or uh, even if that is the case, how is that a problem?
1: You see, the the policy framers are strategically projecting as if you're doing a degree or two degrees in the uh, informal modes of education, either online or ODL, is going to be equal to you doing the same degree or the two degrees from the physical regular mode, right? This is precisely what is the hogwash. This is precisely what needs to be exposed for its hollowness. As I keep saying, you have to look at what already has been the pattern. The pattern has been in our country that the informal modes of education, be it the digitized e-learning form, be it the distance learning form offered by various ODL institutions, the quality has hardly been regulated. Okay, There has been no or literally very little funds channelized towards these modes of education. And that is precisely the story that is going to continue. NEP twenty twenty categorically in a sixty six page document keeps talking about institutions uh, should be now in their coming thirty year you know advancement and planning, think of becoming dual, you know, uh, mode education institutions. So it wants to perpetuate and mainstream the informal mode of education without of course uh, channeling the required funds and without of course the proper proper quality control. So nowhere at the end of the day is the informal mode of your education going to be equal to the formal direct classroom mode. There will that, that hierarchy, that inequality will persist. It is going to continue and so those two degrees will never have the same value. Right.
0: So assuming this as you're saying, assuming this gap in quality remains between the informal modes And the formal modes, then how does it uh, reconcile with the employer lobbies that we talked about where, which seem to be pushing for this kind of a thing? Will they be satisfied or will they be able to uh, manage with the kind of skilling or the skilled students or skilled employees who come to them from ODL or online?
1: As I said, the idea is to reduce the cost of skilling for the employers in our country. So, If a bulk of that skilling is done through an ad hoc manner, through the informal modes of education, or it's done in a more systematized manner uh, through the regular mode of education our premier institutions, the point is you have roughly a multi-skilled workforce which is being generated through the higher education sector. Some will, of course, be better equipped and some will be less, uh, you know, their skills will have less value and so you can pay them even lower salaries, lower wage packages. So, of course, it feeds into the existing, you know, segmented, graded nature of the job market. If you're coming out of the informal mode of education, even with one degree or two degrees, you're still not going to get the same uh, value for those skills uh, uh, in the job market. But yes, you are now flexible labor who can move de- moved around in the hierarchy of, you know, companies and and, you know, management. And you are, of course, somebody who can, you know, be fitted in anywhere and hired and fired easily. With somebody who's come with perhaps a double degree or even a single degree from, suppose, let's say, one of the top uh, public-funded universities, regular mode, will of course have a little bit more negotiating power, which is what we see even today in the job market. Uh, uh, but again, that that young person will also be subjected to more, uh, uh, you know, job flexibility. You have to be given that the whole paradigm now is you should be multi-skilled you have been taught various skills in, at the university levels, so you should be willing to take up different kinds of job profiles and accommodate quickly to that you know so that pressure will of course uh, uh, unleash itself on even those with you know higher skills values uh, you know degrees uh, so this is what this is what I am projecting um, uh, in terms of why the employers are still benefiting from this entire re- so-called deform, not reform deform in higher education sector.
0: Right. So, uh, thank you so much, Maya. I think there's a lot going on here on this particular uh, development. On the surface, it does look like it's a great thing: students can do two courses instead of one. But then, uh, if we scratch the surface, we see that there are other aspects to be considered as well. On the one hand, you have uh, an option where the government can continue to not fund or put in enough money for uh, expanding the teaching and learning infrastructure in higher education. And on the other hand, we see. Uh, a worrying trend wherein you could have a situation where marginalized uh, community students coming from uh, communities like shuttlecast and tribes get sort of by default channelized into ODL and online courses, whereas uh, the premier institutions which have limited capacity continue to remain the uh, preserve of the privileged elite. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and insights, uh, Maya, John. Uh, We hope to have you back again soon. Thank you.
1: Can I can I just say one last sentence, Samprad, if it's possible?
0: Sure, sure. Please go ahead. Please go ahead.
1: I would I would go ahead and conclude by saying uh, that, you know, this new provision and many others of the UGC are unrealistic, unfeasible and irrational for the student, for the learner. I see this most recent double degree provision, uh, it will not be able to um, and no student will be able to juggle both degrees, especially in the physical mode, given the dense nature of our undergraduate and MA level courses. There are a variety of papers that a student needs to collect credits for at the UG and the PG level. We're also going to see heightened competition expected because PG, that means MA students, will also be vying for undergraduate courses, seats that they want to do or pursue. Or even those enrolled in the second and third year of a UG course will vy for the, or try or compete for the first year seats in another UG course. So, the seats are not being increased, just the competition internally is going to uh, increase manifold, We're also going to see a lot of wastage of time and energy because the students who plan to go for the two degree option will ultimately be repeating three semesters of common courses, which they did earlier for another or a parallel degree that they were enrolled in. Because let's remember this provision of the UGC on double degrees is coming in along with the four-year undergraduate program of 160 credits. And this means uh, the UGC framework of four-year undergraduate says the first three semesters are common courses. So that means a student who's enrolled in two undergraduate degrees under this new provision will be repeating three semesters or doing three semesters, which are basically the same uh, papers. And this is a huge waste of time. And even if there is some exemption that you know universities come up with, so there's no such wastage, the larger point will remain about continued exclusion from formal education of a vast number of youth. Uh, who in practice will be shown the door of online education, ODL modes of education, uh, uh, and their dreams for higher education will be crashed altogether.
0: Yes, two very important points right there. One, of course, is the increase in competitive pressure on students. And secondly, the entire uh, wastage of time and energy, if they are going to be repeating uh, the same uh, modules and courses, because they are going to be doing two courses. I mean, I don't know how uh, the UGC is going to reconcile these uh, issues. Uh, going forward, any 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 final comments, Maya? You want to add before we wrap up?
1: No, I think uh, you've given me ample time to clarify the implication. Thank you.
0: Okay, okay. Thank you so much. Pleasure talking to you, Maya.
1: Pleasure. Take
0: care. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.